Hello, you're listening to the abridged version of Book Shambles. If you'd like to hear the full-length version of Book Shambles and also get loads of other extra treats and bits and pieces, then why not go to patreon.com slash bookshambles. Anyway, here's the abridged version with loads of really interesting things that were cut out. I mean, there's lots of interesting things you're still going to hear, but some of the things you're missing out on. Hello and welcome to Book Shambles producer Trent here. Robin actually does quite a bit of the admin at the top of this episode, uh, so there'll be less from me now. A couple of quick things to mention, though. Tickets on sale for Nine Lessons and Carols for Curious People and Brian Cox and Robin's Christmas Compendium of Reason at Royal Albert Hall. Go to royalalberthall.com for tickets for Compendium and kingsplace.co.uk for tickets to Nine Lessons. Signed and dedicated copies of Robin's new book, The Importance of Being Interested, are available at the cosmicshambles.com slash bookshop website, as well as signed copies of lots of other books from our shambles chums like Brian and Dean Burnett and Helen Chesky and Hannah Fry, Ginny Smith and lots of others. And the final thing before I throw to Robin is to mention that this episode does contain uh, some frank discussion around some topics that some people might find upsetting, like alcoholism, abuse, self-harm, stuff like that. So that's just a little warning off the top to let you know that is coming up in the conversation in this episode. And with that said, here's Robin and our guest for today, Liz Fraser. Hello, welcome to Josie and Robin's Book Shambles. Josie is away again. Uh, you'll find out more news about that, but she will be back very, very soon. And uh, just to mention before we start today's show that if you can support us via Patreon, patreon.com slash bookshambles, that's brilliant. And that means you can hear longer episodes and other bits and pieces and sometimes watch recordings live and la, 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 la. And uh, obviously, as you know, any regular listeners, now that uh, we are getting to the end of September, I will be banging on about my book, The Importance of Being Interested, uh, every single time we do one of these. I have a book out, it's called The Importance of Being Interested. There we go, I've done that. Particularly enjoyed talking to Jane Goodall and then talking to my friend Hugh Warwick about hedgehogs. So in one chapter, there's both apes and hedgehogs and also quite a lot about uh, the nature of time as well from geological perspective, archaeological with Sarah Parkak. There we go, buy my book, done. <laughs> now, uh, this is someone else who would like you to buy her book and it is a fantastic book and uh, I, I've, I've just read it. Uh, the book has just come out. Uh, it is coming clean and we're joined by the author uh, Liz Fraser. It is, I never quite know whether to call things like this a memoir because obviously but it's a, it's about a very specific amount of time. I mean it's basically it's it's kind of three years and uh, I will just say for, say for the the people listening that it's 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 three years in uh which liz is partner basically an increasing realization of his alcoholism and also um having a child with him and about those those particular years and um it is but i say there's about three books in the last two years where i constantly want to walk into the pages and say (laughs) stop not stop the author, stop the instant, stop what is going on. Um, uh, Kerry Hudson's book, Low Born, Lem Cisse's, um autobiography and your book are so vivid in their descriptions of some of the nightmarish and, and, and at times truly grotesque kind of instance that you went through. Yeah. Um, first of all, when did you start thinking... I need to kind of record this because I know your diary was was involved in this. I, I presume there was a point where your sanity is such that you think, I, I need to make sure this is really happening. 
Well, I mean, you've gone a, a long way down actually already there. I, I think the thing to say really to begin with is that I had no idea my partner was an alcoholic when we met um, because I didn't know alcoholics could, could look like that. If you know what I mean, he he he's he's ten years younger than me, um, and he is uh, he he was, you know, bright and very funny and and charming and great fun to be with. He had a good job. He lived in a nice house. Da, 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 da. You know, he didn't look like what I would imagine an alcoholic to look like because I'm massively naive in that respect, and maybe I'm very lucky because it hadn't touched me at any point in my life before. Um, and so, what started as as a really uh, as a friendship, a really great friendship, and then developed into a relationship, and we were massively in love, and it was absolutely wonderful, and very happy, and very lovely. There were drinking episodes, even right at the beginning, and I knew that he had already had pretty major drinking issues in his early 20s, um, and would occasionally disappear and sort of not turn up anywhere for a few days, but I just thought, you know, he's got some troubles in his life. You know, he I know that he has periods of depression because he's told me so. And um, and he comes from Fife, uh, where I believe <laughs> occasional drinking is uh, is a feature of everyday or life. I just thought that how that's how it was. Um, and it was, a, I mean, alcoholism is a progressive disease as anyone who, who has had experience with it knows far better than I did. And it really will only go one way unless things are put in place to manage it. Um, it will only get worse, it, um, and, it, and it did. Um, and so, there were, you know, there's a bit in the book where I talk about yet, the yets. Well, this hadn't happened yet. You know, he hadn't actually, you know, disappeared for six weeks yet. He hadn't, you, you know, hit me, let's say, yet. Um, he didn't hit me, by the way, that's very important to say. Um, but you, you kind of ignore things or you go, oh, it's because he's tired or it's because he's stressed at work. And also you're being told that. So you go, oh, okay, that's what it is. Well, fair enough. You know, everyone gets a bit pissed sometimes and, and has a bad time. But then you get the passing out drunk. And then you get the, uh, in the mornings, often it was like, well, I didn't do anything wrong, right? So I had a few, I'm sorry, I was really tired. Mm, okay, all right. So that's not really accepting much responsibility or, or, or apology for that. And it grew and it grew and it got worse throughout my pregnancy and then very much after our baby was born. Um, and you asked me when I started kind of recording things. I mean, I'm a diarist anyway, Robin. So like we're writers, aren't we? And I, I, I don't know, do you keep a diary? Do you keep kind of like... No, I have, I have sporadic notes spread everywhere. Yeah. I have a far more erratic system. Yeah, no, I would say it's the same for me. So it's certainly not a diary. I'm not, I don't write a diary, but I have, yeah, sorry, like notebooks full of stuff, a million. And I always start a new notebook. So every, every notebook's got 20 pages filled and then it's blank, but I have to get a new notebook next for the next thing. But I, I started noting things down, um, I suppose over, over the summer after she was born, even then not very much. All, all of what went in the book, really, in terms, it, it is absolutely factual, because it came from all of our WhatsApp messages and all of our, you know, voice recordings that we send each other on WhatsApp and stuff. Without that, I really couldn't have pieced this together as I did, because when you're in the maelstrom of it all, and as you said right at the beginning, you know, you're being gaslit, you're being manipulated, you're being told all this stuff, you're being told you're crazy, and we'll maybe come to that a bit later on in the, in the effect of that. You can't remember shit. I mean, you can't remember anything. You don't even know what, why, why, why am I here? How did I get here? 
Where am I going next? What time is it? What day is it? I don't know, especially when you're looking after a baby, um, which is your primary, primary focus while you're being just bashed about from not physically, but, you know, emotionally from one thing to the other. So, yeah, I mean, I think I think the very opening of the book, isn't it? it just says I could never have written this book without all of these WhatsApp messages, photographs to go, oh, right that's when that happened and then you start to see it right it's like a map you can you can see it like a graph of descent 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 and there are a little up down up down up down but the trend is down and even as things got better it was up down up down you know it's it's a shaky old spiky graph and i'm very glad i recorded it all because as in, you know, I'm glad we have all the WhatsApps. And I and I did actually, I did start to record conversations and 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 because it's denied, you see, if someone is 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 treating somebody appallingly and is drunk or you know, they will deny or they simply can't remember because they've had a blackout. So a lot of blackouts were occurring. So I think he genuinely couldn't remember half the stuff he said to me. And he would turn around and go, I actually don't even remember being in that room, Liz. This was five minutes ago. I was like, we just had a conversation, Mike, and you said this to me. Um, so I did record it, um, which felt weird. You know, you think, well, oh my God, I'm recording something between me and my partner. That's that's not very... But that's what I, I mean. The, the, one of the things that I, I think is, is sometimes hardest to grasp is the madness of you know as 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 the book proceeds we have these records of where in the space of three hours you receive say 12 text messages in which each text message is from a different human being it's from the same person but in terms of the change of mood and meaning and identity yeah. and so that that's one of the things that i I, I think must have been I can see why you would need to start recording it because otherwise you're going to think well this is just not how humans work if you've not had any experience like this before you there you are probably already you're not sleeping very much you've, you've got a small uh, child yeah. and you are getting prepared and, you, and you're going well, well who is he now and who's this person and this person loves me and this person wants to kill me and this person says it's all his fault and now this person says I know that uh, it's all your fault and you and that that's in such a short amount of time Look, psychologically, I have to say, he didn't want to kill me. He, he did say, and it's fine if this is in the book, he said, um, <laughs> I want to stab you to death with knives, which is not a very calming thing to hear from someone who looks like they are actually about to smash the room to pieces. Um, so in though, at that time, I mean, we're talking now, at that time, June, July, a good three months into, into total sort of inebriation i mean you he's so much alcohol in the system that you your brain is absolutely wrecked at this point but actually one could say that doesn't matter actually you know, that doesn't matter this behavior is happening to me and so yes you're you're there with a young child whether you're there with a young child or not if you are receiving a barrage of messages of yeah um i hate you you're a fucking evil bitch you you know i i I want to smash your teeth out. Um, I love you. Do you want to have sex? Should we watch Peaky Blinders? Um, I'm leaving. I'm getting on a plane. Do you want to have a cup of tea? Like, well, never a cup of tea because we don't drink cups of tea. It, it's, oof, it's tiring. Um, and um, I knew nothing at all about this. No, that's not true, actually, that I had no idea at all about this kind of behaviour. I've been in one other situation where somebody has behaved in a similar sort of way to me with harassment and with gaslighting um and so 
<laughs> and so probably it was worse for me the second time around because I was going through all the same, like, I can't actually believe someone, someone's doing this to me again. Um, uh, so psychological damage, you know, psychological manipulation is, is something that we just, I, I just, one of the reasons I wrote this book, right, is because I didn't know what the heck was going on. I didn't know what to do. I didn't talk about this because it's, it's, you're frightened by the person, you know, you're being frightened by this person often. Um, it's shameful. I'm, in, I'm involved in this awful situation. Um, you don't know who to tell. You don't know who to trust because the person you should trust most of all, who is the person who you love, is spinning your head all the time. Um, but when I did finally start to sort of, you pick the right people and you sense who you can maybe say, look, there are a bit of problems at home. Or someone would ask me, yeah, you okay? You seem to be on your own a lot. Um, and I would sort of say, oh, things are a bit tricky right now. You know, is he okay? Okay, do you know what? No, he's not. He's been drunk for two months. Oh, then suddenly, oh, my dad was an alcoholic. Oh, my ex-partner was an alcoholic. My sister is an alcoholic. He's like, really? I would never have thought that at all. In, given given the family that I know you live in and, and you know because again that's my prejudice of what alcoholism is or what that was my prejudice and it was just everywhere and, and so many people were saying the same things and they didn't know what to do and I thought you know I really have to I really have to I almost have a responsibility I felt to to, to put out into the world for someone else who might need it a book which really says, look, this is what can happen. Um, and the psychological manipulation was all stuff that is so utterly shattering, shocking, and it's and it's, it's um, invisible. You know, if someone gets punched in the face, you can see battered person punched in the face. But if someone is just being gaslit, um, especially when the perpetrator is telling their mates, she's batshit, she's crazy, which continues to this day. Um, you know, well, well, now where are you gonna go? Because you feel like, well, well, they all think I'm crazy. And and even sometimes people have said to me, and this happened to me also, that when, when you have your own group of friends who know you're not crazy, who know you are the, doing everything to keep the family together, to keep the child well, to earn the money, to pay the bills, you are being this, the responsible, present, sane parent. I was told, and this happens to a lot of people that I know as well, I was told, nobody likes you. You do know that, oh, this whole coterie of people that you've, they don't even know you. They don't know the real you. I know the real you. And the doubt of yourself, the questioning of your own sanity is absolutely overwhelming and debilitating. Um, it's God, Robin, it's so, so damaging. And then you have post-traumatic stress disorder because it lasts for years, psychological damage. Um, and then that's often used against you. See, see, you've got PTSD, you know, you're crazy. I mean, you can't even, you know, you're not well, I get this, you're not well. Well, I am well, it's just that the effect of you on me has made me very unwell. Um, maybe you could help me instead of telling me I'm mental. But you know, all of this, we have, it's, it's really important to me to say that this is a disease and this is coming from somebody who, who, who has an illness, right? Um, and all the way through, 
I could see or I felt that I could see the good person, the well person, the person that I met or the person that I loved. I've had to question often, was it a fantasy? That I, was it that I wanted this person to be the person that I loved, the person that I thought I fell in love with? Some, you know, maybe I just wanted something which was never actually there. Um, and, and I don't know the answer to that, but all the way through, I kept just thinking, if we can just get you sober, get some therapy, get some medication if you need it, we can help you to, 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 be, to get well again. Um, and that's why I stayed through it all. See, that's what one of the when I was looking at my my marginalia when I was reading the book about three times I just put the absurdity of love because there is something in which is when you are the the reader bystander in a situation like this and you see all of the things that were going on and you see the the level of psychological abuse and you think and and yet at the same time you know there are messages that, that are in this book that you know where you you say i love you and this is immediately after so and, and that's the thing that i find i suppose this is what, what we can't ever put a finger on which is how human beings can can love people so much that they will put up with so much destruction of themselves and then you have to ask, okay, let's, so we've got love, fine, you love somebody, but there is codependence. So the, uh, this was a totally codependent relationship and I, I can see that now. I mean, my attachment to him, my need to be with him, my addiction to him was absolute. And that, that's a very difficult thing to admit, you know, it, it makes you feel stupid. It makes you feel like, you know, one of those idiotic people who stays in a damaging relationship because they want it so much that they can't leave blah 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 so when when you end up in a in an abusive relationship and you stay in it for a long time i think i was going to say perhaps maybe more as a woman but i don't know i i'm sure there are men who 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 would probably have felt similar it's easy to really blame yourself and go what the hell was I doing? And you can only say that with hindsight. You cannot say that when you're in it. You literally can't. You, 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 when you're in it, um, yeah. It doesn't matter how many friends say to you, this is terrible. Do you see what is happening to you? And by the way, the only times you've looked happy and well are when he's left you and you've been on your own for a few weeks with some peace. Come on, correlation with this person? Absolutely, you know, falling apart without this person doing really well and yet you're staying with this person hmm so these are these are very these are very difficult things that as part of your own recovery as the partner of, of, an, of an addict when you start to go into your own recovery yeah you do you have to start on picking who you are and what where your weak spots are and why on earth you did this so yeah that thing about love like all the way through the writing of this book and i wrote this book in lockdown okay so i wrote this book in lockdown while he went in into his first year of sobriety it was literally my editor said to me recently liz it was like a live recording you know each version that you wrote each redraft was like seeing another person write this we could see you evolving throughout each draft of this book um at what point did you it, it seems that right at the beginning you talk about a, a level of guilt in writing this book 
and there's also the sense that you were thinking but is this really a story was it real because i think for so many people when they're in the midst of something they'll very often go well do you know what everyone has a tough life and you know is this really a and and i got you know and then it seems that once you were starting to show people including your friends things that they knew nothing about they were like oh yeah yeah this is not this is not how life should be this is not how you should but it, it uh, you know was there even in the process of writing a point of realization you're going nan I, I was just wondering maybe maybe there's there's something i should tell people here and then once you start showing people saying why have you kept this this in this is terrible this is you know i mean did, did, did that play part of it of just thinking as long as it's still just your life you can keep pretending no no this is what this is just what happens to people and you can kind of try with the cognitive dissonance to to say, ah, have I got a story to tell? Is the you no know, like okay? So the, six weeks ago, <laughs> six weeks ago, my partner ended our relationship and left. So I'm now speaking to you as someone who is not with this person anymore, and the book. The book ends when we're very much together and I'm gonna, I'm now starting my own recovery and here we go. And he's a year and a half sober and our daughter is now three and a half. And we're now really gonna start working now on the next section of the next chapter of our lives and, and, and mending together. Well, <laughs> six weeks ago, after, after the, the usual kind of build up, you see the restlessness and the, and the little patterns of sort of just not being settled. Um, he, he upped and left and, and that's it. And the reason this is important to say, and I'm not gonna talk really very much about after that because it's not within the book, is that I am starting to, only now, only now can I actually look all of this and go wow that was so not okay you should have left years ago you should probably have left before you even got together if you know what i mean because the the, the, the signs were there so it really is maybe only when the, the the love thing is is lifted um when and when and perhaps when you have no choice and isn't it interesting right that i didn't leave i still didn't leave I did not leave. And all credit to him for saying, this is terrible. It's terrible for me. It's terrible for you. I'm out now. The way it happened was horrendous. Again, not going to go into that. Um, but what is relevant and what is contained within the book and what is relevant you know, to anybody, because my circumstance is my circumstance, but it's much more about what's relevant to anybody, is that sobriety is absolutely not the end. It is not the solution. It's not the answer. Sobriety, oh my God, the complications of sobriety. Like you think, oh, fantastic, you know, he or she, they're sober. Woo, it's going to be tricky for a month or two, but you know what? They're going to come back. It's going to be great. We can just, you know, here we go. Yeah, sure, there'll be bumps along the way. Sobriety is, you know, like this person has got to go through a total metamorphosis, an, an awakening. Uh, uh, they have to suddenly see themselves for, for who they are and ask themselves who they are and relearn everything, how to think, how to react, how to behave. And they might not like what they see. And it must be horrible to soberly realize what I've done to people, people who love me. It was awful for him in that first year. 
to to realize and see the damage in me i lost so much weight while i was with him i self-harmed which i'd never you know this was new <laughs> self-harm like who does that distressed people do that people who are so utterly traumatized and distressed that the only way they can relieve their pain is to physically I'm sorry if this is triggering, by the way, actually. I need to be a little bit careful what I say, but, you know, actually... Sorry, we'll put something at the beginning if this yeah, is Okay, sorry, just something where, you know, is to actually hurt your cut or hurt yourself. That's... You are so traumatised at that point that you're doing that. And I, I notice I haven't had any desire to do any of that since I've been, you know, out of this relationship and I'm eating very well and I'm sleeping better and all of this stuff. But no, Robin, like, would I have left? No. Nope. <laughs> no and uh i i guess maybe i loved him more than he loved me i don't know maybe i had more faith in this family and 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 i want this family so much and i wanted this family for my daughter sorry i'm gonna cry every bloody interview i do it was all about the family really but you can't compete you can't compete with addiction you can't you can't it will just, it is the most selfish thing I've ever known. It is the most narcissistic, parasitic thing. Whether drinking or, or sober, it requires this, the, the, the person who has this illness to, to have so little left for other things because it takes everything they have to stay sober, to, you know, to look after their own needs. There's almost nothing left for other things. Um, and I feel very, very sorry for any, I mean, really do, Jesus, for anyone who has that, to have this thing that just takes over you. See, I, I was bulimic, right, when I was, uh, it's in the book as well, you know, when I was late in my teens and, and throughout my 20s. And, and it's a similar, it's the same, it's an addiction, right? It's, it's a displacement activity for being unsettled in yourself. Um, and I had to do tell lies to other people. You know, you lie, yeah, yeah, I've eaten dinner, or oh, I'm not hungry right now, or you cover up your tracks, you you're exhausted by the lies and, and you feel shit about yourself and you promise you're not gonna do it again, and then you do it again, and then you feel even worse. Um, so I recognize all of that. Um, the difference being that I was completely functioning and and getting on with doing everything I needed to do. Um, whereas unfortunately, particularly with substance addiction, you, you can't function at all, um, or you're a danger to other people or to yourself. But um, I, I had so much faith in, in circumstances becoming better, no lockdown, child a little bit older, you know, my work now getting better, him being in a better job, that if we could just right let's really now spend some time working together on this that it would have been fine i will take that to my grave i i believe i believe that could have happened and that we we didn't we didn't do the work required um to work together to heal together we we didn't he did his aa you know aa 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 oh i'm doing the steps so oh, i'm doing the thing and i was just there going we need to do something together together this is what it's about and it, and it didn't happen um bah. i'm a heartbroken yeah shit yeah <laughs> but uh but i'm also relieved i'm there's a big weight taken off because i don't need to constantly be 
where are you? Why are you late? But you said you were, what? No, I didn't make that up. Sorry, you you literally said that. Oh, okay, fine, you know, and all this stuff. See, that's one of the things. You studied psychology, didn't you, at university? Didn't you? <laughs> I did, yeah. Because yeah. that's one of the things that I find fascinating. And what you've just been talking about, also that journey of sobriety, is that idea that somewhere inside us is this single, the real us, that there's a, a real you. And I think perhaps quite often when people are in love and sometimes in, in relationships, which can be very, they think somewhere in there is this person, this one, you know, you, you, you open the Russian dolls and there's the, whereas in fact, because we are so many different things, and I think it's, you know, the challenge that, that we all have, you know, as you said, with, with your bulimia, where you're, I mean, I remember someone I knew had anorexia, and but I never knew she had anorexia because she said that she was having cancer treatment she she oh, came up with this incredible wow. story and and that realization of that person was so many people and there wasn't just one that sometimes when we're struggling to find both in ourselves and in other people that this is that this is the one person that they really are and you go no unfortunately we are all of these tangled connections and all of these different things and i wondered how much that that plays a part sometimes in in our in our relationships both friendships and, and in many different ways that that inability for us to see what a multitude that that we are and that when you because i kept thinking every time you moved like when you for instance when you went to venice there's always that thing where we believe well if we go here yeah and we're somewhere else and then you go oh i've come with me so i'm still here and all of these geographical isn't it it's doing a geographical it's like we'll we'll move somewhere else i think i think i wrote didn't i when um when we left the uk and we went to uh, live in venice um we we drove in a transit van down from oxford down to Venice over three days, and uh, and I and I wrote as we pulled away, you know, and drove towards the the, 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 the shuttle, the, whatever it was, in Folkestone. I could feel the tarmac underneath, and I could feel driving away from all our problems. We're going away from them now, and I didn't know that sitting right in next to me in the van were all of those problems coming with us, and they just don't go away. And you can. Um, I have I have a lot of friends now within the um, addiction and recovery community. This is this is one of the things which got me through actually, and has helped me so much on Twitter. Sort of you know the old hashtag recovery hashtag sobriety community. Um, just phenomenal, and and it's been talking to many 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 other alcoholics, which has helped me a lot to understand. God, yeah, this is a pattern actually. This is literally identical patterns in so many people. Um, and one of the things I've been told so many times is the only, is that the only constant in a, in an addict is is reinvention and and change and constant moving and moving, and you can I can see that now looking back it was this reinvention or this want to create this other thing this other thing oh if I get married or if I have a baby or if I have a different job or if I move to a different place or the hole in the soul is so gigantic. It's that that needs to be worked on. And this can this is for life, right? I mean, it's a decade's worth of work that needs to be done to help this person sort of find. By the way, I mean, I really, really want this, my, my now ex-partner, which is still bizarre for me to say, I want him to be well, you know? I think he's a phenomenal person. I fell in love with him. That's why I, that's why I gave everything I had to be with him. I think he's, he's an amazing, person but just has so much damage and is not able and he has said this to me and this is also in the book you know so it's okay to say you know 
I can't be in a relationship with anybody but myself for quite a long time. I, I just, you know, and I wish I'd known that or or believed that because he said it to me. I mean, he's he's walked out so many times and and has said, you know, I don't, I can't do this. I'm not this person. And we can hold them to ransom, I think, sometimes by going, no, you can't leave. No, 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 you can't leave because we've got this family. It's going to be great. Um, it is what it is. You know, now we're just going to do it in a different way. Um, but the power of addiction is absolutely incredible to me still. And, you, you know, like you said, I studied psychology and blah, 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 it was a long time ago. And I wasn't very good. <laughs> I didn't do terribly well in my studies. Uh, but it, the, the brain, the mind, I mean, God, there's so much more research to be done, isn't there, to understand all of these things and, and how we cope. But my, my whole interest really is not, is not in addiction um, and, and anymore, particularly, um, because I finally realised that his addiction, his sobriety, his anything to do with sobriety, it's nothing to do with me. It's absolutely nothing to do with me. It's on you. you. You do what you want to do. I'm interested in, in people in, in my position. Um, and in the people affected by that uh, and in understanding how if we can communicate between the two sides between the people who are the addicts and the people who are affected by the addicts how we can work together to try to make sure that more people can get through it better and safely and come out the other side well and there's just so little talk about that um, still I mean it, it, it's a it's domestic abuse basically when you're when you're gaslit and manipulated and all of this sort of stuff and um and then you're told you're mad <laughs> well you said that i mean when, when when the police come when you're you're in in italy and and kind of here is this very very drunk human being and yet the police are kind of on the side of oh, he just a guy and and that's something yeah. you know i've i've seen in the past as well which is that there's a, a kind of this strange and i i will say male camaraderie of just all having a laugh and this killjoy's coming just because he's you know and that that is that seems to run so deeply into our culture yeah do you know what is still so ingrained in our culture is the mad woman the mad woman she's batshit hysteric i mean even the word hysterical is to do with you know a female anatomy you know we are still painted as the mad hormonal she's psycho fucking hell my wife jesus she's mental can you imagine how appalling that is <laughs> like it persists and it's endemic and you yeah no i've had terrific support from men by the way i have to say and there's another there's another whole group of, of male kind of camaraderie which is Fuck guys who treat women like that. Seriously, I would punch his lights out if I saw him because to treat any woman like that is appalling. And they really have, you know, there are people who are massively supportive of a God, yeah, of a woman in this situation. But yeah, the, the, the police thing was unbelievable to me. There's a woman here whose partner has disappeared. He says he's suicidal. He's very drunk. She's called the police. She's breastfeeding a baby, and these two carabinieri turn up and they're ciao, ma buonasera, what's the matter, signora, per favore, like, calm down, all right? He's a man, he wants a beer, and I'm there going, oh my God, I don't think you get this. And there was all this joshing, and when, when they found him, they found him at the bar, and they brought him home. 
my God, they were like best mates. Come to Scotland and play golf. Oh, I tell you, we've got some amazing beer up there. Yeah, pat, pat on the back. Are you joking? Where is the support for me? It was horrendous. And all of that sort of experience, you know, it just plays again into the, you're just a nutter, you know. You tell someone they're a nutter enough times, they will start to wonder. If, by the way, I use the word, I don't use the word nutter. He uses the word nutter, you know, mental and all that stuff. You, you will start to question your own sanity. And if you've had any mental health things in the past, yeah, bulimia, if you've had depression, anxiety, excuse me, who hasn't? I mean, who gets to their late 40s and has never had periods of anxiety or, or whatever? Or who gets to any stage of their life? It's a very common thing. Don't use that against me like I'm mad. Because demonstrably, I am the one who is holding this whole show up. It is very, very, very damaging. And it's not very thoughtful actually to be sitting here and saying all of this stuff, you know, really, you, you want to know, well, what, what do people do? I would just say, you've just got to talk to somebody. You've got to talk to people and, and, and keep having people around you who are saying, hey, no, you are fine. You are being told that you're not fine, okay? Remember, you are completely fine. You are exhausted. You are being gaslit, you know? You are being tortured by this situation. And to keep you hearing that, because our situation was particularly difficult because we were abroad and we were not near family or friends or anything. So I was in an isolated bubble of me and this person saying these things to me. I had no other voice. I had no other, until I went to see a therapist. So I did go and see a psychotherapist in Venice because it got so bad. I just didn't know what the heck to do. And she, and I, I, wrote, I wrote about this in the book, she was the first one to say, Liz, you know, you are strong. You are the mother. You are the one who is keeping everything together. Because he used to say I was a narcissist. He continues to this day. I'm a narcissist. And she said, and I said, am I a narcissist? Like, do you, do, am I a narcissist? <laughs> she said, Liz, I'm a clinical psychiatrist and I can tell you categorically that you are not a narcissist. And anyway, a narcissist never questions whether they're a narcissist. They don't do that. <laughs> so you're almost by definition not a narcissist. A narcissist is telling you that you're a narcissist. You have to talk to people, but you have to pick the right one. And actually, this is important to say. So if you're the addict, you can go on social media, you can follow hashtags, you can respond to things, you can build a very, very strong community of people because you're talking about yourself. If you're the partner of, you can't really because you'd be outing somebody else. You're talking about somebody else. So even just to say, oh, talk about yourself and go, I'm really struggling because of my partner's addiction. Oops, I've just dobbed that person in. So. Lots of people direct message me. I get loads of private messages from people saying, thank you so, 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 so much for talking about this. I feel so alone. I don't know what to do. I can't engage with other people. I can't say anything because I can't let it be known in his workplace or or her workplace if it's, if it's a woman. Um, and so they, they don't feel that they can talk about it because it implicates somebody else. And that's a, that's a, that's a real shame. There are organizations, right? Like Al-Anon, we have to mention that because it exists. Al-Anon is like the 12-step program for partners of, but 
it absolutely does not work for me i i went twice i tried it it's there are there are sections in there where i can't get on with it and i know that there there are many people there are people i know who felt exactly the same thing they went and it was like <laughs> this is not for me but it is for lots of people that's cool and there are things like something called the freedom program I don't know if you've heard of that. I hadn't heard about it till recently. A few people have said to me, you should do that. It really helps you to detach when you're in a relationship with somebody who's kind of, you know, messing with your head. Um, and you have to detach. You have to find a way to detach. I'm, I'm interested in, in, because obviously this is a book about a very recent part of your life. Mm. And I imagine now, because obviously you've had that, you know, those periods of, uh, of months where you just, the book's finished and now you're waiting for it to come out. Is there already, I mean, are you already thinking the paper about, right, I need to add another chapter, I need to, because I would imagine also the reaction that of, of those friends of yours and, and the people who've read it already have poss possibly also changed the perspective of the way that you can write about this. And that as you get further and further away, it's that, that old thing, you know, further away from the events, the sharper they come into focus. Yeah, I'm not sure actually if I'll, I'll, I'll add an extra chapter. I think there probably should be an appendix or something to say, but what I think... I'm so glad that I finished the book before before the relationship came to an end, uh, or rather um, before he ended the relationship, because as far as I'm concerned, it didn't. Um, because I couldn't have been, I couldn't have been as nice about it, or it, well, anyway, look, it would have had a sting about it, wouldn't it? Or it would have always looked like someone having a go, it's like, oh, because you're just bitter, you're just bitter and twisted. The book is absolutely pure to how I felt when I wrote it, and it is it is what it is, and it, and it should stand as it is, I did protect him. I did take things out of that book, which could have been, you know, potentially really quite not so great. Um, I was careful to protect the family and to protect him. Um, and that was the right thing to do. Um, and yeah, I, I think, I certainly can't be accused of writing it with a bitterness because we've broken up. I was still absolutely devoted to this relationship, you know, right the way through the writing of the book. But yes, now you ask me now, sort of how I'm looking back on it. Absolutely, I'm looking back. I'm, I'm looking back on so many things, and and that's what I was saying right at the beginning. That thing about I'm an idiot. I'm an absolute idiot. Why why did I put up with this? And then I forgive myself, and I go, you did because <laughs> oh, that's what I was going to say to you about my editor about, about an hour ago. All the way through the writing of this book, my editor and my editorial team who have been fantastic to me and were so protective of me and were so careful to make sure that what was going to go was going to be to print was going to be okay for me and for the family they just could not get on board with the decisions i made and they kept pressing me to explain Liz, you're going to have to explain to the reader why you did this why did you let him back in why did you let somebody who has bitten you in the head who has said they want to smash the teeth through the back of your skull. You let this person back, not only near you, but near your child. And my answer was always, because I did. Because I did. And I thought it was the right thing to do. And I made a judgment call. And I knew that he was ill. And I did what I did. And they were like, that's not good enough, Liz. That's not. Well, it's the only answer I have. Maybe I was so codependent, I couldn't do anything else. Maybe I was so addicted or delusional about this fantastical relationship that I thought we had. I don't know. My only answer is I did because I thought if we keep trying, it will be okay. And that's the only answer anyone's going to get. And it's, it's just got to be good enough. 
I don't need to justify anything I did. I don't need to, I don't need anyone else's validation or anyone else's, you know, oh, I agree. I, I don't need that. We do what we do when we are in that situation, when our minds and our bodies and our lives are in that place. And that's why we do what we do. For better or worse, I made many wrong decisions. I'm sure of that now. I made many wrong decisions, but I did what I did from where I was at that time and what I believed absolutely we could work on and make work as a family. And I still believe that. And um, I'm very, very sad how it's ended up. Um, but you can't dwell on that. You've just got to go, right, here we are. I'm here, I'm looking after my child. I'm trying to trying to earn money and paying bills and that's uh, learned a lot of stuff. So maybe I can help other people. Well, I think the the thing is that we our, our rational minds are really useful when looking at other people's lives. It's just <laughs> yeah. that they don't operate when we're living our own. Yeah, exactly. You know, and that that that's I think that's true when you're reading about people's lives, when you're talking to people through their lives, we are so good at being able to give advice because with Aren't with we? that emotional detachment. So <laughs> Aren't we? We're the best we're the best givers of advice to other people, but never to ourselves. It's a humans are so stupid. We're so stupid <laughs> that we we can't figure things out better for ourselves at the time, but we can only go one day at a time and try and be a better human and a smarter human and a kinder human. That's all we can do. Yeah, it's useful. Once you realise that the whole thing's very absurd, that's... Uh, Life, that's, eh? Yeah, it is. That's why I love Beckett. Um, coming Clean is uh, a fantastic it's out now um and and i think it will I, I when i was reading it i just kept thinking that what a useful book it will be to a lot of people as well because i i would imagine i was i was talking to a friend of mine again who who's been through uh similar things and 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 i said i don't know if you'd want to read it or not you know because sometimes you might and she was like oh yeah i definitely want to because i think again that gives people some sense of of i don't know validation is the right word but just that that fence that a story someone else's story it's not just as you said when you especially when you've been persuaded that you're mad or yeah. that you know there's so much more we could talk about on this because there is i did question two that's as far as we got i skipped question one by the way so we've only done one question so that's uh, there's a, another thing but um uh, i would highly recommend it thank you very much to uh liz for for joining me today thank you very much to our producer trent burton and thank you very much everyone who supports us via patreon or just you people who listen and don't you don't have to support us via patreon we always make sure these things are free as well for everyone thanks bye bye <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. Liz's book is out now. Robin's book is out now too. Cosmicshambles.com slash bookshop is the best place to get that, obviously. We'll be back next week with a new episode. It will be our Halloween episode and we'll be joined by Beck Hill, who uh, is obviously a regular on Cosmic Shambles and has also just released her first book in her new children's Halloween series, Horror Heights. So we'll be talking about that and favourite horror books and stuff as a, as a kid. So that's out next week. Until then, take care, rate, like, subscribe, review, all the things I usually say on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and whatnot, and we'll see you next week. Take care. Bye. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. Josie Robbins' Book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions.